This is the Nordic Asia podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. I'm Petra Desitova, a postdoctoral researcher at the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies in Copenhagen. It is my great pleasure today to introduce Frédérique Trottier, an assistant professor in comparative development and cultural studies at the University of Passau. Welcome to the podcast, Frédérique. Thank you for having me, Petra. So Frédérique's research interests concentrate on sports, urban geography and mobility in Southeast Asia. But today we are actually going to specifically talk about her latest book published by Nias Press called Nation City Arena, Sports Events, Nation Building and City Politics in Indonesia. So first of all, Frederike, congratulations on your book. It's just been published by Nias Press. So this is an amazing achievement. Before we delve a little bit deeper, I would like to first ask you, what was your inspiration behind this book? And actually, how did you become interested in the topic of sports, which plays a major role in your new book? I would actually like to start with a second question. So how did I come up being interested in sports? Actually, sports have always been part of my life. So as a hobby, I did gymnastics as a kid and then playing football and table tennis and so on. So quite a common thing to do. But there was never really a relation to my studies. So when I studied Southeast Asia, this was a totally different thing. And then at one point, I had my master degree, and I was reading a paper on heroes in Indonesia and living through a book on Indonesian national heroes. And I thought, how come there is no athlete included in this official list of heroes in Indonesia? And looking at maybe German society or other European societies, you would think of football stars, etc., heroes. And with that, I had this feeling, well, this is something I would really like to think about and to do research on. So not just about athletes or about heroes, but really what is the role of sports in Indonesia? What is already available? So I started reading and um, very quickly I realized, well, actually, there's hardly anything in English and in academic literature Uh, So I thought this is something I would really like to research. And um, this became my research project. And so this is, of course, also what inspired me then to develop this research and to write a book uh, about it. So it's basically a book as a follow-up of my PhD thesis. And researching sports also means it's a lot more than just sports or competitions. It's about all these things that surround sports. So it's about different developments in a society. It's about political decisions. It's about nation building. It's about place competition, about city politics. And, And this was really what fascinated me then throughout the process. And the next step was then 
the interest in sports events. Uh, so I decided that these events, they have such a, so many interesting aspects, especially in this urban context. And also my personal fascination for the Olympics. So that has always been around. And when I read literature about Indonesia and sports, there was a little bit on the events in the 1960s. So I thought, okay, this is something I can build on with my research. And then at the time when this all happened in 2013, Indonesia hosted the Islamic Solidarity Games. Right. And they drew my attention. I was so curious about this event. And so I, I could have this as a starting point and then develop my PhD project out of this. And to write a book um, out of my research was also to kind of share my experience now with the topic of sports and to make it maybe also more public in Southeast Asian studies, also in sports studies to draw the attention to Indonesia and Southeast Asia, which is of course also not very visible. And maybe last point, Indonesia hosted the 2018 Asian Games. And so this was also an encouragement for me to write this book now, also kind of in the aftermath of this mega event taking place in Indonesia. Yes, I do recall reading your book's introduction as it opens where you actually describe this experience of, of being there in 2018 and being a participant in some ways, but also researcher during this big sports event. But how did you actually research it? You get off the plane in, in, in your destination country and then what? What do you do? How do you go about doing your research? And were there any particular challenges? Because as you said, obviously sports events are not something that you can have plenty of literature on and they are in some ways not happening every day so these big events they happen once in a while there might be some documentations about them but you know how did you go about it okay so my approach was situated in area studies so of course i had a lot of background indonesian studies um, i had learned the language and then the first challenge was still like, how do I tackle such a big topic, such as sports and sports events? How do I come up with a good research question? So even though saying, okay, I want to study events, doesn't really mean that I have a proper angle yet and what to focus on, maybe also what not to include in the study. And this kind of inductive way of doing the research was also related to my own background in area studies and interdisciplinary studies. So I couldn't really say, okay, I'm an historian and I just look at it this way. Um, yes. And so I kind of try to follow the events and go there and experience what is going on. And then also the questions came up and developed. And that also meant I had several detours <laughs> and looking in one direction and then another direction. But I was also a bit lucky. As I said earlier, Indonesia was awarded the 2018 Asian Games. And of course, in this way, I could somehow follow different events that took place in this time of my research. Another big challenge was to get into this aspect of sports psychology or sports history, 
I had no background in studying sports. So I had to start from scratch to, to read books and to get to know the concepts. And I also went to several conferences and that helped me a lot also to network, but also to know what other people study when they focus on sports events. So I went a bit outside of the Southeast Asia box um, and that really helped me to find my questions and, and to relate it to um, urban geography, what I did in the end with this focus on place marketing. Uh, so that was how I tried to tackle this. Another challenge was definitely always having this very exotic topic. Wherever <laughs> I went in Southeast Asian studies, it was a bit surprising for people to say, okay, I'm doing my research on sports. And the same, on the other hand, when I went to these sports conferences, it seemed, especially with Western scholars or in the context of a conference taking place in Europe, Southeast Asia was definitely not on the map. <laughs> so it was always me like making a case for looking at the Southeast Asian countries at these sports conferences or vice versa, talking about sports in context of Southeast Asia. You're right to say there that Southeast Asia compared to, let's say, other Asian countries uh, or, you know, the bigger East Asian countries like Japan or China doesn't probably really resonate with people as much when it comes to, to talking about sports and sports events. And I can imagine how difficult it must have been to actually persuade some of these academics at, at the conferences that it actually makes sense to be looking at Indonesia as well in this particular context. But when you were in the country itself, so when you were in Indonesia and you were going around these events and attending them, did you have any particular problem with actually getting access? Because I guess in, in a sense it would be and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would assume it would be quite uncommon for a Westerner to be trying to attend these events as well. So in a way, you would be yourself a bit of an outlier in these events. Did you have any access problems or did you also have to explain to, to people around you what you're doing there and why you're actually interested in, in their sports events? My first experience was actually that sport was often a door opener. So it was actually quite easy to talk with people also in the beginning quite randomly, you know, just to see what people say about an event or just talking to people who also go to the opening ceremony, let's say. And this was especially the case in Palembang. And it was also quite easy to get in touch with the Indonesian Sports Council that is situated in basically each province and city. So there's also the national one, but I was able to meet and to conduct interviews with officials from the sports council in Palembang, and they helped me quite a lot. Um, and this made it in a way easy to get access also to, you know, these sports brochures that you often have for the yeah. events. And I was also able to talk uh, with the governor of South Sumatra, as so Palembang is the capital of South Sumatra. And well, he didn't have much time, but you know, at least to have a short interview uh, was quite a, a big opportunity for me. But there was still a big challenge, which I would say, uh, as I also describe it in the book, Palembang has this 
success story related to the sports events. And I had to be careful to see what is also behind this narrative <laughs> and what is maybe a downside of these developments. And at one point, I even had the feeling I have to be careful not to be part of this narrative or to, you know, to be used as a part of the success story saying, look, there's even a scholar from abroad coming to do research on this. So I had to reflect on that. What is my own position? Mm -hmm. And I also tried to include several interviews of people who were more critical yes. of these events. I can relate to that kind of experience because my own research was on nation branding. And I think you could, in that sense, meet with similar kind of people who get overly enthusiastic about these things. And then you feel like you need someone with a more critical view, uh, especially if you research or if you talk to people within that branding circuit. And I think obviously you do make some connections to city marketing in that relationship and, and using these events. But before we delve into that particular topic a bit further, I would like to ask you, why did you actually end up choosing Palembang and not Jakarta? I mean, that would be an obvious question, right? So I'm pretty sure I'm not the first one to ask you that. But, but you know, why not the capital? Why, why have you chosen Palembang as your main site of study? I chose Palembang in a way as a main point of my argument. So this is what I say in the book. It's about the developments in Indonesia, especially in post-Sohato Indonesia, where we have these processes of democratization and especially decentralization. So decision-making processes are not monopolized anymore in Jakarta. And there are new opportunities in the regions and especially in these secondary cities. That means these cities are often the capitals of provinces. And there's a lot of decision-making power now in these places. There are actors that take certain initiatives. And this is what I want to show and discuss in my book. And this is why Palembang makes make such a great case. Nevertheless, of course, I do talk about Jakarta quite a lot. And it's especially in the part where I discuss the events in the Sukarno and Suharto time. So that means in the 60s and then between the 70s and 90s. But to make it more obvious or very clear that there has been this, these transformations going on in Indonesia, it's just kind of great for me as a researcher to see what is going on in the city of Palembang and then in a way to compare it to Jakarta and also to say there, there's a relationship between Palembang and Jakarta and there's this ongoing negotiation. So which is the sports city who is going to be a host or a co-host, negotiations about competitions, opening, closing ceremonies, etc. So this is why I have Palembang as my case study but somehow in relation to Jakarta. That's very interesting. And I was wondering, could you maybe give us an example of a particular sports event that would somehow represent this idea of reflecting maybe the broader socioeconomic and political transitions in Indonesia during the time that you studied, which I believe is from 1962 till 2018, right? So it's probably better then to have two events, one <laughs> prior to 98 and the one after. So 
what came to my mind now is the Southeast Asian Games. So this is an event taking place every two years in one Southeast Asian country. And Indonesia joined these Southeast Asian Games in the 1970s. So that was during the new order. And before that, uh, this event was basically just for those countries of mainland Southeast Asia, in a way connected to ideas of anti-communism. And when Indonesia had this transition from Sukarno to Suharto, it was of great interest to join this event. And so when Indonesia hosted the Southeast Asian Games for the first time in 1979, there was no question whatsoever that Jakarta would be the host city. Of course, this was also related that Jakarta had a big stadium and the proper venues already from the Sukarno time. But it was also, it was so obvious because all the decision-making power was in Jakarta. The country was very centralized. And so there was no other option in a way to have this event somewhere else. And all follow-up Southeast Asian games taking place in Indonesia up to 98 were in Jakarta. And then in 2011, the event returned to Indonesia. And from the beginning, it was clear from the decision makers, they want to have more than one host city. They want to have not just Jakarta. And then negotiations started and so on. And in the end, we had an event that was co-hosted by Jakarta and Palembang. And Palembang was even able to be so successful in the negotiations that the ceremonies, the opening and closing ceremonies, both took place in Palembang. So the event was actually more associated with Palembang. And so this was really a, a major shift, I would say, and it really reflects development from this very centralized country to a far more decentralized one. That's very interesting. And it's something that is quite a striking example, actually, of a reflection of these political changes and what's been happening in Indonesia politically and the whole transition from very centralized, very sort of autocratic regime into a, a slowly more democratically oriented country that's opening up and decentralizing power. How did these games change Palembang as a city? So this is definitely related to what I said, this kind of success story that was in the city related to the events. So we have a movement from small events to big events. And from the retrospect, it really looks like a development for the city. So in 2004, Palembang hosted the National Sports Week. So that was still a national event. And then the already mentioned 2011 Southeast Asian Games, the 2013 Islamic Solidarity Games. There was another smaller event, the ASEAN University Games, and then, of course, co-hosting the 2018 Asian Games. And each event was connected to urban developments. So we have a lot of infrastructure projects and a, a huge building project 
of a sports themed zone. So a sports complex that is really situated in one place. And this was a major development in the city. And this also, it's not just about this infrastructure. Of course, this also meant that the transportation, for example, got easier and some places were renovated. Play, like squares were made more attractive, but it was really also about creating a better image for the city. So Palembang had to fight a, a very negative image of being ugly and dangerous and backward and so on. And there are not many touristic places. There's no beach or something that you would go to and how to attract tourists. And so to improve the image was really part of this whole endeavor to host sports events. And this really changed the city in a way to improve the image also to kind of boost the pride of local citizens and to put Palembang on a map. So to make it known internationally. And that definitely also changed something in the city. And not to forget, of course, the local actors that were interested in having these events and who profited from them. And the most important figure is the South Sumatran governor. So he was in office from 2008 to 2018. And it was his personal project to change Palembang and to have this via hosting sports events. And it definitely boosted his own career, but also really improved a lot in the city and made it nationally known or changed the image and really boosted this kind of what I call remapping. So to put it on the international map, but also to change perspectives in the city. It seems very much like the sports events were the driving force for this city marketing efforts that the local governors have engaged in over the years. What are the negative effects? Because now we've just been talking about the nice and the pretty and the fact how, you know, sports perhaps have enabled Palembang to get a, a better image, better reputation, and also people inside, but also out of the city, think about it in a very different terms. But what could you see from, from the other side? What is still the ugly or the not so good about this whole setup? So the negative aspects were actually quite typical in a way when you look at sports events, also in the international context, what are criticisms for, let's say, hosting the Olympic Games. It's about power and decision making. So in our case, we have a clear top-down decision-making process for all these events. So we have one key figure and decisions are often taken then by the governor and there's not much discussion going on or citizens are not really included in any kind of decision-making processes. And in addition to that, there's always the question, where does money come from and where does it go? And in this way, we can relate these sports events in Palembang to uh, what is called a project 
project in Indonesia, which is often so these kind of government-funded events. And naturally, a sports events is related to national funds. And Palembang received a lot of funds, although often quite late and not always the full amount. And there has been controversies about that. But of course, there is money going to the city. And then it's the question, which company gets the money for what and which politicians take cuts and so on. So there have been cases of corruption. And this is always a, a big danger of the events. Another aspect is when we look at the city marketing strategy, it's also a question, how successful is it? to be based on events. It's still a single event in a way. And you always have to struggle to attract more events. Otherwise, how do you maintain the venues? Where do you get the money to continue having competitions on this sports complex? And in this way, it seems a bit short-sighted to only focus on sports events. And this makes it yeah, a bit dangerous, especially in this way that the governor, Alex Norden, who was such a key figure, he had to step down because it was the end of his time in office and there was no long-term city plan that would organize how to maintain the sports complex, how to continue this strategy. And now I think people in Palembang wonder and I wonder how this will continue or maybe the Asian games were already so big that nothing else can really come afterwards. Right so do you think that perhaps it's fair to say that there might be some need for reconsideration of the city marketing strategy or moving forward and maybe thinking how to make a more sustainable long-term plan for the city? Yes exactly also how to include the local population maybe to build on it and also to um, have sports as a main theme in the city, but to make it broader in a way and to use the, the venues in more different ways and maybe to try to have smaller events as well. I think this was going on, but the question is in how far this is successful, but yet to diversify and to build on the strategy that already exists, but not to yeah, stay too focused on, on one aspect in this way. Definitely. Unfortunately, we're nearing the end of, of our time for this podcast, but this is a, a really, really interesting topic and it's a fascinating book that you've written on this topic. I would definitely recommend to everybody who is listening to actually get hold of your book and read the book in full. But if you were to dissect a main message from your book about the sports, about Indonesia, but also about something that could be taken out of that context and applied perhaps to other Asian countries or even beyond, what would that be? So the first aspect that I would like to emphasize is that sports events often reflect larger developments and changes within a, a society. Sometimes they even foreshadow new events or any transitions and this makes them so interesting and events are very visible that also means they're arenas of performance and representation and competition and this nature or this visibility and the symbolic power 
in these events make them very attractive and very valuable for different types of stakeholders and actors. As we see in my example of Indonesia, actors of the national level, of the city level, and this is something that makes it so fascinating with all these different facets. And you have this aspect of negotiation, and I think this could also be the case for other events of popular culture to see these negotiations going on between the national and maybe different sub-national levels. And the third aspect is also that these events are not just on a national level, but it's international. It's about getting in touch with other countries or to be visible and to have this kind of place competition. But also the events themselves, they travel. Asian Games will also travel from Indonesia then to China and then to Japan and so on. So this is also something I would like to follow up on, or this is maybe to encourage somebody to do research on uh, these sports events that travel throughout the world or throughout a continent or a region, and that makes them very fascinating research objects. Well, that was a very nice message. A call to action really at the end of uh, at the end of the podcast it's really important to not look at these sport events as, as just something purely related to sport and purely about sport but also to, to look at it as something that is part of the broader society and that is part of some sort of power struggles as well between the subnational and national levels I think that's very important and very very good point for, for everybody really to consider maybe next time that there is a big or even a small sport event somewhere that they happen to to be. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you for finding time and and doing this online, although it would have been much nicer if we could do it in person. But uh, yeah, thank you. And hopefully we will be able to do this at some point again and follow up on your future research plans. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining the Nordic Asia podcast, showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. My name is Petra Desatova, a postdoctoral researcher at the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies in Copenhagen, and I have been talking today to Frederike Trottier, an assistant professor in comparative development and cultural studies at the University of Passau. Thank you. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.